Hi, Happy Homeschoolers. Before the episode begins, we have a special announcement. That's right. We're announcing the launch of our brand new website. Go to www.happyhomeschoolerpodcast.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes. Access show notes. Learn a little about everyone who works on our show. And more. Go to www.happyhomeschoolerpodcast.com and check it out today. Now on with the show. Welcome to the Happy Homeschooler Podcast, a digital support group for everyone interested in a learning lifestyle. I'm your host, Holly. I'm your co-host, Melody. And I'm your co-host, Jennifer. Well, today we're so excited. We're going to be talking with Amber O'Neill Johnston about choosing books for your homeschool. But before that, I want to see what everybody's been up to since last time. Melody, what have you been doing? Uh, we've been doing some improvements to the house. I think I mentioned that before. And then just getting a head start on birthdays and Christmas shopping, more doctor appointments than usual, just those regular checkup sorts of things. And I'm not a fan of having to drive into town every day of the week. <laughs> I try to schedule that so that I don't have to, you know, years and years yeah. of homeschooling. We got used to being at, you know, home based and, um, having to get up and go every day is not my favorite thing, but it's all good. <laughs> It's all good. Just means, you know, things at home don't get done in the way I want them to. But how about you, Jennifer? You're traveling all the time. Oh, yeah. So uh, (laughs) last week, well, for Thanksgiving, I went up to see my daughter who's in college up in Fort Collins in Colorado. So just one of my teenage sons and I drove up for the week and we had a small Thanksgiving and we did a lot of hiking and went up into the mountains and did sledding. It was beautiful. It was such a nice week. But then uh, the day we were supposed to leave, it dumped a whole bunch of snow on us and we ended up coming back a day late. So ever since then, I've been just catching up and catching up and catching up. So it's crazy how behind I got ah. just with one day out like that, but it was unplanned. So it, it, it pushed a lot of stuff back, but I feel like I'm good now. And this month, uh, well, coming up in December, we have so many things going on with our homeschool group. And one of our favorite things is this Friday, we have a uh, we build a float for our little town's uh, Christmas parade every year. I can't wait to see it. It is this Friday. <laughs> I can't wait to because I'm still not sure how it's coming together yet. <laughs> but uh, we have a general idea and we meet at 10 tomorrow to make it happen. So we'll see what we come up with. <laughs> Oh, but but so I'm excited. Fun. I love the busyness of the holiday seasons and all the fun things we do with our friends over the next month. And I'm looking forward to it. What about you, Holly? We had a lovely Thanksgiving. My All my Texas kids were able to come. Uh, fortunately, they all live within about 10 to 15 miles of me. And then, you know, my youngest son lives with us, so he's here by requirement. And then um, a family friend came, and that's always fun when he can join us. So we had a lovely Thanksgiving. Our listeners will know that I've talked about being the reluctant cat rescue lady. (laughs) In July, I caught four kittens and got them adopted. And I I caught their mom. She wasn't hard to catch because she likes us and she comes to eat every day. Anyway, I took her and got her fixed. And there was one more kitten, an elusive little Siamese kitten. And we didn't see it. So we thought, oh, well, maybe somebody took it. The people who are the 
ones who are responsible for the overrunning of cats that we had, we thought, oh, maybe they took it into their house. We didn't see that kitten all summer, and it was so hot. But then around the mid to end of October, she resurfaced this beautiful little Siamese kitty. So she was very skittish, but she was also very hungry. And she she would come up and eat, and she let me start petting her. And now she's in my guest room. Oh. And <laughs> um, she's, she's very happy uh, to see me. The first day we brought her in, she was like, I don't know what's going on. But I think Stockholm Syndrome has kicked in. And now she's very friendly. And I'm going to get her fixed and find her a good home. Um, I've always wanted a Siamese cat. So... It's really tempting, but I don't Ooh. think my yeah, I don't know. I've I mean I've always wanted a full Siamese cat and she's yeah, really pretty. And I, and I only like girl cats. I like girl cats and boy dogs. But right now the plan is to find her home. And so um yeah, I think she's the last one of litters or anything, because I think really I've done all the work and that Yeah, that's great. She's the last one. So the reluctant cat rescue lady still still lives on. Uh, can't hang up your hat yet oh no i guess i can't so anyway um, well with that let's go to our interview with the wonderful inspiring amber o'neill johnston we are so excited to have amber o'neill johnston the heritage mom with us today welcome amber we're so thankful to have you thank you so much i'm excited to be here with you Oh, we're thrilled that you could make the time to be with us. Would you give our listeners just a little um, a little bio about yourself in case they don't know you, but they should, and in case they don't? <laughs> okay. Well, I am Amber O'Neill Johnston, like you said, also known as Heritage Mom, and I am a homeschool mom of four. They are 14, 12, 10, and 8. The older ones are girls. The younger ones are boys. They've been homeschooled from the beginning, and we live outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Although my husband and I are both from the Midwest. I'm from Illinois. He's from Ohio. But we met at the Art Museum here in Atlanta, like a good Charlotte oh, Mason nice. family. <laughs> I know. So sweet. Our kids are from here. So I spend a lot of time talking about the importance of really celebrating family culture and our ethnic mm -hmm. cultures within our homes so that our children can have deep roots in order to spread wide branches to others. I love that. I love that. I have a quick question. Were either your husband or yourself homeschooled? No. In fact, let me show you how, how not homeschooled I was. Both my <laughs> mom and dad were public school principals. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. how did they feel about this home? homeschooling thing well at first you know it they not big fans i have to yeah. admit this is understandable but my mom said the sweetest thing years ago um she said i'm not a big fan of homeschooling but i'm your biggest fan so Aww. yeah i know right that's I, amazing that that's away. a great Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's my mama. So she, um, but she's but since then she's come to love it and just has mm -hmm. always gushing about it, and she's so appreciative, and I just love her attitude about it that she was willing to you know suspend disbelief until mm -hmm. she got a chance to see for herself, and and she loves it. I that's think so that's right. a lot of people, you know, they're they're like initial objectors because it's not something with which they have any familiarity, yes. and then as they get to know what it's all about they're like oh it's not what i thought oh i like that 
sometimes they join in. My sister-in-law was an initial objector. And after her daughter was in public school for a year, she came to me and said, can we talk about homeschooling? <laughs> yep, right. happy to do it. So all my in-laws grandchildren were homeschooled and they could take the kids anywhere oh we're going to go on a trip can we take them yep please do (laughs) (laughs) well I think that's something my mom really enjoys too she's actually in town visiting right now as we speak and the idea that the kids have lighter schedules when she's around yes maximize their time with her and things I I know she sees those as very yes benefit for sure my uh my in-laws live across the street from me and they were also very hesitant when we started homeschooling but now we've I mean it's been a long time now it's been like 14 years here that the kids got to grow up with their grandparents every single day and they of course have appreciated that so much oh it's priceless it really is yeah and that's one of the ways you can develop these deep roots that you talk about in your book I think that a lot of times, you know, people know that books are good to have. You know, we know that books are good to have for our families. But I love the intentional, thoughtful process by which you are bringing books to your family and what you talk about in your book. And so um, we would love for you to give an idea of what kind of books we should choose and why for our families. And hopefully, you know, we're going to be hearing this episode right at the beginning of the Christmas gift buying season. So hopefully your advice will help people make some really great gift choices. Oh, that would be wonderful. Yeah. So, you know, I like to keep things simple because as soon as you start bringing in too many rules and very prescriptive guidelines, it's really hard to incorporate those things in a natural way within your home and to stick Mm -hmm. with it. And so I look at books very easily. I want good books for my kids. And when I think about good books, I think about those tried and true books that everyone knows are wonderful. The books I grew up on, kind of, it could be your classics, your Newbery books and and the Caldecotts and all of those. Those are great. But in my home, we've really spent a lot of time intentionally cultivating additional categories of books. And those are mirrors and windows. And a mirror, a literary mirror is a book where my kids can see themselves and aspects of their family and community reflected in in the books they're reading. Most often, the easiest example for me to use would be books with other African-American families or Black people in them. But there sometimes are other ways. And sometimes the books that are mirrors in that way, the characters are Black, so they're mirrors, but the books are also windows. Windows are books where kids can have the opportunity to kind of look through the window and see how someone else lives, how they experience life, how their families operate and engage with one another, how they celebrate Mm -hmm. things and their comings and goings and, and all of that. Like I said, some books are both because to give you an example, I could have a book where the characters are black. That's a mirror for my children, but maybe they're living in the inner city and mm-hmm. they're dealing with some of the grit that can come along with urban life. Well, that, you know, we have goats and cows down the street. So my kids, <laughs> they don't know that life, right? But right. Um, I, it, it is a mirror in some regard. They're going to recognize the food simmering on the stove. They're going to rec- recognize the song that grandmother's coming. They're going to recognize some of the vernacular that's used in speech and dialogue. So I think that when I look at books in that way, it allows me to have a more expansive view of what I want for my children instead of a narrow view of what constitutes a great book. I like that because You know, classics are classic for a reason, but it doesn't mean that good books haven't been written since then. Right. (laughs) True. Very true. 
And I think that's something that I'm very passionate about. And that is, I see a lot of people who are diehard classics or bust. That's all mm-hmm. children read. Those are the great books and nothing right. else should enter into their literary lives. And then I see people that are like, burn the classics. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll say all kinds of things. They're whitewashed. <laughs> they're right. old and stodgy. They're, you know, and we should only be reading contemporary, highly relevant in this day and age books. And I look at both of those arguments and I understand where they're coming from. But I think that every time we say our kids should only read, um, mm-hmm. we should be very careful. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. one of the freedoms afforded to us because of our time and place is the freedom to read widely. Right. And I take exactly. advantage of that as an adult. And I want our kids to do that as well. So I really like to do our kids can read this and this, not this mm-hmm. or this. Right. And so, Amber, where did you light upon this idea, which is the best idea ever? I'm I'm just like, this is so, to me, like, why didn't we have more of this in homeschooling or just in literature, you know, literature appreciation and, and exposing kids to literature earlier? But, you know, you've put it all together so well. You've, you've expressed it so well. But what was the catalyst for you? For me, it was really um, that I started out using in my homeschool, in my home, the books that I was most familiar with that I had been educated on and the books that were in the curricula and lesson plans that I was using and purchasing and those great lists that I could easily Google online. You know, I don't want to make any mistakes about it. The books were really good. Right. The problem is that my daughter started getting some really negative ideas about black people, not because of what the books did say, but because of what they didn't say. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people like us were just completely absent from the Mm -hmm. entire canon. And, you know, I'm looking ahead on some of these things and I'm like, oh, great, this curriculum or this list recommends Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry in seventh grade. What am I supposed to do until then? Until then, yeah. (laughs) And so I'm like, there's this one book, an excellent one, but still a token at that that degree. And so I went through a lot of different things. And that's why I speak publicly about it, because I don't I want to kind of take away the fear and maybe the shame because mm-hmm. I had a lot of shame and how do I fix mm-hmm. this because I didn't know what I didn't know and it was hard for me to give my daughter something that I had never possessed and yeah. the lists that I needed didn't exist because for me it couldn't just be black it had to be good and black. Yes. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. right, right. So I didn't just want to go grabbing any old thing I wouldn't do that with any other book why would I change that yeah. here and there was nobody that I could find that was curating beauty, black yeah. beauty. And mm. so um, I did the work to find those books for my own daughter to heal her heart and her sense of self. And when I saw how quickly, how miraculously and how completely it worked and turned things around, I knew that I had to speak up for other people and say, oh my goodness, guys, like yeah. this is it. It, it was beautiful. such a small move. Yeah. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of what got it started for me. And then in my research, I ran across a paper that a former professor at Ohio State University, Dr. Rudeen Sims Bishop wrote. And in the paper, she talked about books as mirrors and windows. And I just Mm -hmm. broke down crying. I was like, that's it. That's what's been missing from my home. I appreciate so much that you're bringing it to the public because my oldest son is disabled. And when he was little, he was in a wheelchair a lot of times. And I had, I looked and looked for books that included people that looked like him and I could not find them. And the ones I did find were just about 
the handicap. They were about the person mm-hmm. being in yeah. the wheelchair. You know, yeah. they weren't they weren't about just a regular family, but one of them happens to be in a wheelchair living a life. Yeah. You know, and that was so difficult. And it's still for handicapped people and disabled people, it's still a, a difficult find right now. So I think what you're talking about is so relevant to so many people. Yeah, I I mean, I think it's a beautiful idea and concept. And of course, I'm biased. But you know, I do have to take the opportunity to share with listeners that I've gotten a lot of pushback, a lot of people publicly stating that this is wrong. We should not be thinking about or considering the ethnicity or Mm -hmm. abilities or disabilities of a character. Mm -hmm. People are just people and books have their central ideas and themes and they apply to all of humankind. And I don't disagree with that. That's why I don't bash classics because I love them. (laughs) I do think Mm -hmm. there are books that speak to the heart of humanity and that goes, it transcends race. It transcends even time and location as Mm -hmm. we find with a a lot of our favorite books. But this doesn't mean that there are no other needs in life. Yes. And I think that it can rub people the wrong way to say that I'm going to consider this when I'm building my children's bookshelves or choosing the books our family reads. And I would just tell people that it's not an ideal solution. It's Mm -hmm. what we have to do to repair brokenness. Yes. And our prayer hopes would be that someday this intention won't be necessary because everything Mm -hmm. will be so naturally diversified that we won't have to give attention to this in this way. Whenever you're trying to repair brokenness, it does require your attention and intention. I think it makes perfect sense. And I know you've talked about people pushing back, you know, on your um, Instagram, on, on your Facebook, on your website. And to me, it's so silly that people feel that way. Because I remember when I was a girl, and I found Nancy Drew books, and I was very excited that there was a female protagonist. (laughs) She was smart, she was capable. And you know, boys like the Hardy Boys, and people just naturally do want stories that they can relate to. Really, I don't understand why people can't understand it can be both and, not either or. And you've been so generous sharing all the stuff. I don't know when I found you, but I remember it was a, a few years ago when you were making some recommendations for artists and composers, and you mentioned Joseph Ballone, and I had mm-hmm. to get my hands on that book, and I finally did get a copy. Of what is it called, Amber? The other Mozart? The other Mozart? Uh-huh. And I was like, yes, you know, as a person who, you know, I wanted to bring more diversity to my child's literary life, I so appreciated that you didn't just go, well, I found these cool resources and I'm going to keep them to myself. You've been very generous about sharing these things. And I know it's not always roses. And I really appreciate that you keep putting yourself out there for the greater homeschooling community. I really consider you right up there with Sally Clarkson for the work you're doing in the homeschool community. Oh, wow. That's that's very, very meaningful. She's a mentor of mine. And so that's the greatest compliment. And I've loved her for years and years. I've been a Sally fan for years. And to know that you and and Sally, you know, are working together. I'm like, this is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely. And I know one of the things I've taken from her is to be gracious 
in my responses to people always. And I see Mm -hmm. that in her and it's something I adopted early on. And it's helped a lot because, you know, you can get jaded in this, you know, you're thinking this, I'm giving this gift, I'm doing all this work and, you know, maybe it's attacked or, you know, people, it's misunderstood and you could just retreat or you could snap back or do all kinds of things. But I remember, I just think of how she, you know, know, how would she do this? And she just gives the most gracious responses and she doesn't dibble dabble in foolishness. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. what I always think to myself. <laughs> That's me. I'm not going to dibble dabble in foolishness then, but it, it helps to kind of have guides ahead of you who have yes. walked through fire and are willing to kind of put a helping hand back and help you along the way. So. The year is drawing to a close and you've got a lot on your plate. This year, give yourself the gift of more free time by using Transcript Maker to create your students' high school transcript. The time it takes to calculate grade point averages by hand is ridiculous. With Transcript Maker, you just plug your courses and grades into the template and the GPA appears like magic. If only Christmas shopping was so easy. Lots of families are traveling a lot more than usual right now, and it's easy to misplace important documents. But with Transcript Maker, all your transcripts are held in the cloud, safe and sound, whenever and wherever you need them. Bank accounts are stretched thin this time of year, but good news. You can use our exclusive code HAPPY at checkout to save 20% off the cost of your subscription. That's H-A-P-P-Y in all caps. In the year right, go to www.transcriptmaker.com. Transcript Maker. Simply better transcripts. Yeah, I was thinking about something, you know, when I was reading your book and you were talking about the windows and the mirrors. And a few years ago, my son said to me, can women be the president? And I thought, oh, dear gracious, he's he has no idea. And I said, yes, women can be the president. And I thought, oh, we need to bring some more books in where he sees women, women. In, mm-hmm. in these yeah, roles thanks. because, you know, in his mind, it's only guys. And I thought, yeah. well. Here's a prime example of windows, right? And uh, looking into another person's world. So windows and mirrors, but um, am I correct that there are also doors, Amber? Yeah, sliding doors, I say. So um, it's a really interesting concept. I don't always have time to explore it, so I'm excited to be able to talk about it here. So if you think about a window, you're you're on the inside. The people that you're watching and learning from are on the outside. But when a window, a literary window, is so good and so engaging that a child feels like they actually can see themselves interacting with the people they're learning about and being a part of the story, then that window becomes a sliding glass door and they step into the story themselves. People have asked for an example. One of the best ones I ever encountered, I was reading an article that a teacher wrote and she said that she read Wonder aloud to her class. Later, there months later, her student came to her and said, oh, I was at the store the other day and I saw a boy who looked just like they described in Wonder. And before we read that book, I would have looked away to avoid eye contact because I wouldn't have wanted him to think that I was staring uh-huh. at him. But this well, I- time, I just walked up to him and I was like, hey, and then I kept walking and he was really excited to tell his teacher. And, and that was a perfect example because he understood intimately that there was no need to divert his eyes or look yeah. away, but that what he could do and what he should do and wanted to do was to just walk up and say, Hey, and so I think that it's a subtle thing. It's a small thing. That story is not an earth shattering, change the world overnight type of a story, but those are the little drops that add up to buckets and oceans of change. 
Yeah, I love that. It doesn't have to be a tsunami, right? We can just have a layer on top of a layer. <laughs> Your children are a variety of ages. And so I would imagine that, is it easier to find books for the younger children? What have you encountered in your search for these wonderful books? For me, yes, it's much easier. There, um, It's a growing cascade of beautiful, wonderful picture books. Oh, especially I love picture books. History. Yeah, like mm-hmm. history, all these people, people I know, I've never even heard of, and we're learning their stories and seeing beautiful art and illustrations depicting aspects of their lives, and we're becoming more familiar with them. And also fictional picture books, just sweet, culturally affirming stories, stories that are familiar and new and different and traditional and all the things. I've found that as you get into older chapter books, older middle grade, and definitely when you start getting into young adult high school books, things can get trashy quickly. Mm, And that's been very difficult for me because I have a family of readers and I, I feel like we've worked so much and enjoyed so many years of a literary life, a living literary, a literary life. And I've had to really slow them down in some areas and spend a lot more time pre-reading and researching and digging and saying no more than I ever have before. And I, I don't like to do that. But for some reason, as the books start aiming older, the topics they skip the whole early teen years. It just goes oh. into a <laughs> I am uncomfortable with it. And unfortunately, because books with black characters already represent such a small percentage yes. of the market, Harder. Mm-hmm. a large chunk of those are not suitable for my children's ages. But though they are certainly fabulous stories, they're just not okay for my family right now. We are limited and and it's a huge problem that I've seen in the publishing world. So. Hopefully we'll have more books coming out as people are made aware, but I think that's part of why so many of us stick with classics or we start out with the classes they're safer or they're friendlier for families. And yeah. so now we've got this gap here. Yeah, I, I do. I, I'm i optimistic that it'll open up more because uh, people can self-publish so much more now. So we have oh, the ability, you know, everyday people can publish books now. So I feel like we're going to get more and more out there and all be able to take advantage of that. Yeah, and actually, that's been something recent. Uh, recently, you know, publishers send me books frequently, but lately, I've had some independent authors start sending me their books. That's and I'm cool. So oh, good. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I have a stack on my nightstand right now that I'm going through, and and several of those are um, older you know, young teen, older middle school chapter books. And I just, I'm really hopeful because mm-hmm. I would love to turn those into indie hits and scream yeah. up on the rooftop if they're Oh, if I you like for. them, everybody will buy them. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see what happens. Yes, I, have, that's true. I have quite a few books that... Um, the pressure's you know, you, on. <laughs> you mentioned, and I was like, I got to get that. I've got that devotional. Mm-hmm. I've really oh, yeah. enjoyed that one. Well, it's funny. I've learned now if, I, if I'm if i going to recommend something on the blog, I got to scoop up a few used copies. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> For example, I'm like, man, I paid two fifty for $2.50 for these books. And then all of a sudden they're like $75. Oh, you know? my. Oh, yeah. God. Well, that's what happened with the other Mozart, I think. It yeah. was real hard to find for a while. Yeah. <laughs> But finally, I I got it at a price point I really enjoyed, and I just found Joseph Malone's life 
fascinating. It's really quite good. It, it's it, just the it, it's the perfect type of thing that I needed for my family, and I love being able to show people that when I'm suggesting diversifying the shelves, I'm not just talking about more books about slavery. Those are necessary and important, but mm -hmm. there's a whole world. I'm talking about music and <laughs> art and poetry. Yes. And, uh, and mysteries for, and fantasy and for us as adults and parents, it's wonderful too because almost none of us were taught about these people in school. We didn't learn about any kind of diversity in our history, mm -hmm. you know, or composers or scientists or anything. So it's so wonderful for us to be able to learn with our kids also. Oh, for sure. It's definitely, I've heard so many people say homeschooling is like a second education for the mother and mm -hmm. I just cannot agree <laughs> more. Yes, yeah. I've always said that the first student in your homeschool is mm -hmm. actually yourself. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's good, yeah. So with your older kids, when they want to just read something for fun that's not not really like a good book, not a book you would curate or a comic or something that you wouldn't pick for them. What do, what do you do about that? Are you, do you allow them to kind of dabble in not so great books too? Yes. We call them bubblegum books. And okay. they'll just <laughs> <Good> <laughs> term. Yeah. Yeah. Because we've been using that term for so long, they know exactly what it is. And, okay. and they'll just be like, oh, mom, I need a bubblegum book for this, for the beach mm -hmm. this weekend. I'm like, all right, let's go, you know, let's go check it out. I think, <laughs> great. I think that to me, it's indicative of a true reader. Yes. True readers always have their noses in books and they're reading multiple books a lot of times at the same time. And they're not going to always be stiffer, denser vocabulary. They're not going to always be these books that just change your life. Sometimes you just want to like settle in for like a rom-com, but in book form. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, right. I love it. I think that that's great. For me, for my older girls particularly, I'm really in the process of making sure they understand how to self kind of edit. Like you could be reading something, but if you encounter enough things in that book where you know this is not for me and mm -hmm. not not just this is not what my mom wants me to read. Right. This is not what I know. I, I don't want to read this. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. Um, and you can just set it aside. And, and when you're mature enough to do that, you'll have a lot more latitude from me to choose your own books because I know mm -hmm. that you know when to say enough is enough. That's yeah, When I was the age of your oldest daughter, I um, found Harlequin romance books. And I read a few and I was like, it's the same book. Yeah, over and over. <laughs> and then, you know, I tucked it out and then no. I found Pearl Buck and I thought her oh. books were fascinating. Um, they were real eye-opening too because I grew up in Cleveland and it was very diverse. And I just remember reading one of her books where this um, American serviceman fell in love with a Japanese woman and they got married. And when he brought her to the States, everybody was horrified and I couldn't figure, I'm like, what was wrong with that? Because I had grown up in such a diverse community. But yeah. Uh, but those books were really helpful to me to give me some windows. And um, not all kids are going to read Pearl Buck books, obviously. Um, but those kind of books are life changing. And they and I'm really so happy that people are sending you books to preview and, and you'll be able to have some input on the books that our kids are going to be reading. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great responsibility and, and also a really special pleasure that I'm having this season of life. And I'm happy to do it because, you know, I love the idea of a body of people all taking these types of books and adding them to their children's reading lives. It's not yeah. just me. And to be honest, you know, when I first launched my blog, I was talking to 
moms with black children. I was talking mm-hmm. to black moms and, and white moms who had adopted children or had bi, you know, biracial children. And um, it was a, quite a surprise to me, actually, when so many white moms with white children were commenting and signing up for my newsletter and <laughs> conferences and everything. And I was like, really? And they were like, no, no. I want this for my kid. Yeah. And it just made me realize like how small I was thinking and thinking that this was something that other people wouldn't really want. I guess because it, they weren't on the list. So I was thinking, right. I guess we don't want these things. <laughs> but it, it's been totally different than that. And I've gotten a chance to see so many different types of people all coming together to say, yeah, let's all of our kids read these books. And mm-hmm. I just love it. I really do. Yeah, that's so wonderful. I love it too. I have a, I want to say something that's unrelated to books, but well, it was in your book. Um, you had a whole uh, chapter about how to talk to your kids about difficult, difficult topics in your book. Mm-hmm. And I just loved, love, love, love that chapter so much. I've shared it with friends. I've sent excerpts of it. I have uh, eight kids and I'm at the end. So my, my youngest is a teenager. So I've gone, I'm on my eighth teenager right now. Um, And everything that you said in that chapter about how to talk with your kids is stuff that I've practiced all along. We're a pretty open family and we have a lot of communication and people come to me often and ask me like, how do you, how do you do this? How do you get your teenagers, you know, to talk to you and how do you talk to them? And just everything that I've been talking to people about you reflected in that chapter. And I really, I highly recommend our listeners, they should get your book anyways, cause it's great. But, but that. <laughs> That chapter can really, really help some people who are struggling with talking with their kids. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really glad to hear you say that. I think that communication covers over a multitude of mistakes. And um, when you're able to talk through things, I, I always say I don't want my kids to find out on the street about mm-hmm. how, right. how, how to see life, you know. And if I want them to talk to me, I have to be an askable parent, which I talk yeah. about in the right. book. You know, I, I have to be someone that they feel comfortable, really, really comfortable. And yeah. sometimes I, I laugh and I'm like, man, these kids are too comfortable now. <laughs> yeah, and it can be uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it when we're driving and I'm and I'm facing forward and my my kids in the back seat and he's facing forward and we can have these conversations. It's really freeing to me for some reason to be driving in the car and having the harder conversations. I guess oh, because yeah. we're not like looking at each other, so we feel more uh, less pressure. I guess yeah. Probably. Freedom. Do you find that you have these uh, harder conversations? Do they go better in certain scenarios or what? Well, definitely my three youngest kids, the car still is is the eureka place. And I think it's mm-hmm. partially, you know, it's you don't feel as awkward, but also you're captive. And so I think that that helps as well. Right now for my oldest, my teen, you know, she wants to open up and become a social butterfly right around 10, 55. Yep. Yep. Middle of oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> know that was me. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, oh my gosh, so this is what we're doing now. I used to be early to bed, early to rise. And, and, you know, honestly, just like you have seasons, you have a newborn. I'm looking at this. It it doesn't change. She's part of this season. And in this season, I made the choice to stay up later. And so I don't get up as early and my, it's changed the flow of my day, but you know what? It's everything I ever wanted when I had it. Exactly. And yeah. so that I love Yeah, it's and teenagers, teenagers, teenagers are just some of the most amazing people. And when they do want to talk to you, it's so worth your time. It mm-hmm. is. 
I used to tell my kids though, I'd be like, we can't start conversations at midnight. Yeah. That's too that's too late to get them started. I have six kids from thirty seven down to eleven. Um and so yeah, we had a lot of those late later in the evening conversations. I'd be like, Oh, I gotta go to bed. I gotta well, but, I have yeah. used her before thinking like, did you not have this question at seven or eight or did it just come <laughs> into your head? Or yeah. <laughs> it's almost that one. Oh, mom, one last thing. Yep. This big, deep, yeah. time-intensive conversation, which is fine. Sometimes I think they work their courage up to bring it up. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe they can see that I'm about to fall asleep. You're hating. <laughs> you know, You're vulnerable. So they might get it again, yeah. The siblings have cleared out. You know, the siblings are That's all in true. bed. That's true. That's true. There won't true. be any disruptions. And my daughter has a sofa, like a little love seat in her room. And I cannot tell you how many times I've fallen asleep on it. And she's Aww. like, Mom. She's like, right, Mom? And I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Well, Amber, do you have any like particular books that you would be like, you know, if you can only get this book this year for your kid, your kindergartner or your fifth grader or whatever, do you have any books that you're like, everybody should read them that you can recommend for our listeners? Oh my goodness. Let me see. There are so many. I'm Um, sure there are. Yeah. For the youngest kids a book called The Old Truck. It's by Jerome and Jarrett Pumphrey. They're brothers. They wrote and illustrated it. It's simple for the little ones, but a little girl grows up on a farm with her family and they have a truck and the truck falls into disrepair and weeds grow up around it. But then she inherits the farm and she's older. She fixes it and her little girl grows up on the farm with the truck and and everything. And I think it speaks so well to um, intergenerational um, connection to um, connection with land, um, which is a very um, culturally um, impactful thing for nearly every culture across the world. Mm-hmm. So I really, I really like that a lot. For middle school, when stars are scattered, it's a graphic novel, and it's always going to hold a special place with me because it's the first graphic novel I ever let my kids read because I used to be a graphic novel snob. And- <laughs> But I agreed to that one, and then they they wouldn't stop talking about it, so I read it all in one night so I could be part of the conversation, and I was fascinated and floored. And from that moment on, I said, I'll never, ever cut out a whole category of books. So mm-hmm. for right now, those are – oh, and then for high school, early high school, I'd say a book called Saving Savannah. And that, because I love it so much, it's a novel, um, because it focuses on what life was like for a free black girl years ago in the Northeast, and we don't get to hear about those stories mm-hmm. that much. So yeah, those are some of my, I mean, I have a million, right? But those just pop <laughs> right now. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing those, because I always think, you know, like the, the truck book sounds really cool, and I have a little nephew. My, uh, my family's kind of interesting in that um, quite a few of my family members are Native American, and they're registered with their various tribes, and we just have a real interesting um, family. My sister-in-law is married to a gentleman who's part Barbadian and part, um, his family's partly from the Ivory Coast. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of interesting people, and I'm like, I always want to get books that are, you know, those really good books that I can give to my nieces and nephews. So yeah. I appreciate you making, you know, um, 
some recommendations that we can actually go look for. So how do you find time as a busy homeschooling Charlotte Mason homeschooler with lots of books? How do you find time to look at all these resources? Well, um, that's easy. A couple things. One, I don't get as much sleep as I should. Um, But I'm going to tell you what I think could be the most important thing. And I don't say this because I think this is what other people should do. I'm just saying this is how it's played out in my life. I haven't watched TV in probably 15 years. (laughs) So uh, we have one. It's in the basement. It's super inconvenient. It's cold down there. It's not comfortable. So when other people might watch shows or watch movies, I'm reading. And um, you watch family movies. So if it's a movie I'm watching with my whole family, I'm all for it. I love movies, but TV shows and all that. And it's not because I have a problem with it. My kids watch TV. It's totally fine. It's just that I prefer to read. Um, So that's where a lot of it. I am an audiobook junkie. So I... I always have multiple because I, I might be in the mood for something different, multiple audiobooks going um, at a time. And sometimes also I'm not reading word for word. Like if I'm a, if I'm pre-reading yeah. and I'm pretty sure the book's fine, I'm just kind of chunking it, you know, looking mm-hmm. through yeah. every few pages, just trying to get the arc of what's going on here, looking through the dialogue, mm-hmm. trying to see what these kids are going to say in this book, you know. Yeah. Um, my kids are not perfect, but I don't need them to have outside ideas. They have enough of their own. <laughs> And, you know, and of course, I'm like everyone else. I never feel like I have enough time. Um, oh, and the other thing is now that my kids are older, they read too. My second daughter is an, a book nerd. That's what she calls herself. That's her, <laughs> that's her self-identifying uh, description. And so she tears through books and she will read a lot. And she, she knows well, exactly what my readers like and what I like to recommend. And she'll be like, ooh, mom, this right here. And then she'll be like, oh, not so <laughs> much right. this one, you know? Yeah, it's <laughs> wonderful to have a, a mini me to help you out. Definitely. And she loves it. So that, that actually, I should have led with that. She, she does a lot for me. Is she the one that has a reading copy and a keep yes. copy? I saw, that on your, I saw that on your Instagram. I was like, that's a girl after my own heart. <laughs> yeah, she really is. And that's the, you know, the thing is you can lay the foundation instead of the atmosphere, but you don't get to choose who your kids become in terms of right. their passions and desires. And I have four kids, but I only have one that lives and dies by the word inside the pages of the book. Um, and, and yeah, it's been really sweet to watch her um, and kind of fun in that way. That is wonderful. Well, Amber, we probably talked to you all day long, but we know you, you're a busy person. And we do always ask our um, guests to tell our audience something that would be surprising about them, uh, a hobby they might have or, or something they like to do that people wouldn't necessarily know. So um, do you have an unusual hobby or something that you would like to share with us? Oh, wow. That's such a great question. I have been a doll collector since I was born. So I have a collection that now after all these years has turned out to be pretty, pretty doggone valuable, but that's not why I do it. I just kept them. I've never gotten rid of any doll that anyone has ever given me. And I cared for my baby dolls like they were precious commodities from day one. Um, And I still have them. I have the dolls people brought to my baby shower for my mom when she was pregnant with me and every doll I've gotten since. So, um, it's a huge collection. A lot of them were custom made because when I was little, they didn't have black dolls in the store, mm-hmm. um, really. And my mom would have doll makers create them for me. 
Wow, that's, that's a treasure. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's very cool. My dad was in the Navy and he traveled and wherever he went, he brought me back a doll. So there's still in a box in my closet. I have a Spanish doll, a Japanese doll. I have a beautiful Jamaican doll, all these precious dolls that are very, very old now. <laughs> um, I, I love dolls myself. That's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Are you still adding to your collection? Um, through my daughter's. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, this is not for me, but I'll buy it for her. <laughs> How fun. Well, Amber, thank you so much for making time to visit with us today and to um, share this life-giving information with our listeners. We really appreciate it. People can find me online at heritagemom.com and my book, A Place to Belong. They can read all about it at aplacetobelongbook.com. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Heritage Mom Blog. Thank you so much, Amber. We really appreciate it. Here at the end of our podcast, we'd like to answer a big question. Melody, what's our big question for today? Our big question today is from Anonymous, who asks, at what age can my children start reading their lessons and doing work independently? What do we think about this one? I say right <laughs> from the very, very beginning to me. Like, I mean, obviously, when they're little, when you're doing pre-K kind of schooling or even with your toddlers, when you're starting, you're still going to work with them as well. But teaching them a little bit of independence at the beginning is, I think, is important to lead up to more independence later. So like you're, if you're giving your young child an activity to do, try to walk away and let them work on it themselves as much as possible. Give them that space so that later when you start doing, you know, more academically inclined things, you can, they all already have that habit of being able to do things on their own sometimes. When I started homeschooling, my oldest child was going into second grade and the next child was a kindergartner. So they, I would give them things to do all the time to keep them busy because I had also two little, I had a three-year-old and an 18-month-old. So I would say, oh, you know, oh, here are your spelling words. Ashley, copy your spelling words, you know, right. Here's your, here's your A paper, Kyle, practice your A's or Mm-hmm. Whatever it was, even if it's mm-hmm. just giving them some chores. Yes. You know, yeah. right. one of the things I would say also is that in the early years, a lot of people are real worried about all the subjects. Mm-hmm. And really, I think it's most important if you get your kid reading. Yeah. Um, because once they learn to read, they can read to learn. Right. They can and do all so, the work independently. You know, it yeah. It doesn't matter if your first grader has social studies or... Some of the other things, geography, you know, there's there's some curriculums that are they try to touch all those things. Mm-hmm. I think it's really more important to focus on the three R's and make sure they're reading. Obviously, you can't force readiness. So if no, your kid's not ready, that's a different kettle of fish. But once they mm-hmm. can read, they can read to learn and you can give them a lot more things to do on their own. Yeah. And I know that not everyone loves electronics and things, but there are a lot of great ways to teach some independent learning using programs online or like, you know, easy peasy homeschooling or some apps or things where they are playing games, but they're learning independently. And that would help for younger kids who aren't reading on their own yet as well. Right. Well, we always had things that the kids could get started on independently without having to wait on me because there was always a baby needing attention mm-hmm. or a toddler needing something. And so they knew to get in there and get started on their work. Yeah. And, um, as they got older, 
because they were in the habit of starting on their own, they just continue that. Sometimes if they did right. not know what to do, they'd come ask and I would give them something else to do. But we had a list also, like what to do if you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And it was a list of other opportunities in the house of things that they could do, which I felt were productive activities. That's great. So, like if, yeah. you, if you don't know what to do here, do one of these things. I mean, there's always some kind of a household task that can yeah. be done and those kind of things were on the list too. But we were working toward them being self-starters so that by the time mm-hmm. they were in high school, um, they didn't even really need me to plan because most right. of that's kind of here, go go find out everything you can right. about this topic. Yeah, I have a we similar were- experience. We had, when my kids were younger and we were doing less unschooling, um, we had, and I think I've talked about this before, but we had like a checklist that I gave them at the beginning of the week with all the school they were supposed to do for the week. Then they were kind of on their own after that. Like, this is what you're supposed to do. Do it when you want to do it, get it done by this time, you know? Uh, And that, that really helped all of them. And I did it even, it was at young elementary ages and, you know, the work level and workload was different for each one, but I started it with them pretty young all the way through the older kids. And I will tell you that my daughter that's in college has mentioned many times how learning to work independently has been helpful for her college Mm -hmm. career and that she sees the students who didn't learn that and how hard they're struggling being able to be a self-starter and a self-motivation and all of that stuff. So it's a really important skill. I don't know why people want to make it a job to helicopter over their kids. Yes. Now, you know, I do inspect what my son does. So Mm -hmm. he has to put away the dishes in the morning and his ADHD brain sometimes tells him he finished it, but it's not done. Yeah. And I'll, so when he's done, I'll walk over and I'll say, hmm, it looks like your brain thought you finished this job, but I don't think it is finished. Will you come check it? Mm-hmm. And he'll come back and he'll remediate what he had forgotten. But, you know, we do our kids a big disservice if we do not give them skills. Yeah. That will carry them through. And, and like you're saying about your daughter in college, when I went back to college a few years ago, well, I was in 2014, so more than a few years ago. I was worried that I wouldn't be able to keep up. And I was quickly disabused of that notion because the younger students were Mm ill-prepared and very disorganized. And they, I I was just just surprised. I thought I would see that they were more prepared because they had recently been in school, but that wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, give your kids stuff to do as soon as they start and you'll be amazed at how much they can do, you know, as time goes on. Before we go, we want to leave you with a few reminders. SAT testing is over for now, but we'll let you know when it starts back up. If you want to support us here and help us grow, it would be great if you'd help new people find our show by leaving us a five-star review and sharing new episodes on social media. Remember that you can get 20% off the cost of your Transcript Maker subscription with our exclusive coupon code HAPPY. That's H-A-P-P-Y in all caps. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at happyhomeschoolpod at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at happyhomeschoolpod. If you want to learn more about anything we discussed today, check the show notes in the episode description or go to our brand new website, www.happyhomeschoolerpodcast.com. Next episode, we'll be discussing mental health and homeschooling. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Holly. I'm Melody. And I'm Jennifer. Happy Happy homeschooling. homeschooling. Hi, this is your host, Holly Williams-Zerbach. Thank you for listening to the Happy Homeschooler podcast, a transcript maker production. My co-hosts are Melody Gillum and Jennifer Jones. 
This podcast was produced by Matthew Bass and edited by Nora Williams. Our graphic design is by Pete Soloway, and our music is by The Great Pangolin. You can find more of her work on YouTube and Twitter at Kylie Wins. That's K-A-I-L-E-Y Wins. If you'd like to help our podcast grow, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, tell people about us. Um, somebody's got music. Let me go check. It's probably John in the other room. I want to hear it now. I took my headphones off. Sorry, that was super distracting. <laughs> oh, definitely there. <laughs> How's that? John had a movie on. Oh, much better. He might need some Bluetooth headphones. I have a pair for Joe. I'm like, I can't <laughs> deal so. with your noise. You need That's them. That's a great idea. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, I'm writing that down on a piece of paper. <laughs> okay. <laughs>